from Matthew 5-7 from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that is what I would like us to put our thoughts and attention on this morning, the concept of mercy. In particular, the mercy of God. Here what Jesus expresses to his hearers in the blessings that form the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount is he's describing the characteristics that describe the children of the kingdom of God. The kind of people, the characteristics that they have that make up those who form the citizens of God's kingdom. And he says, among the many things that he describes and describing is he says they are merciful. And they are blessed in being merciful for they will obtain mercy. And, of course, the implication is we ought to all be able to see they shall obtain mercy from God. And, in fact, there's this tight connection, this interrelationship between being merciful and obtaining mercy. See, if you recognize your need of mercy from God, and if you have experienced receiving mercy from God, then you will also be more likely and more suited to show mercy to other people. If you don't think, on the other hand, in contrast, if you don't think that you need mercy, if you don't recognize that you've received mercy, then you will be unlikely to show mercy to others. So let us consider today how merciful God is and has been to us, that it might stir up in us mercy towards others. So uh, let's consider this for a moment. If you consider the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, you see the embodiment of mercy, of the mercy of God as God is made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We beheld his characteristics. We behold in Jesus the very character of God in the flesh, and one of his preeminent qualities was he was someone who was full of mercy. And he always was exhorting his hearers to be people who showed mercy and that God is pleased with mercy. For example, one of the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus several times quoted to those that heard him was he said, he quoted, God speaking, saying, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Strange statement, perhaps, because God is, in fact, the one who ordained all different kinds of sacrifices, and yet God ordained them to teach us something about the mercy and the grace of God. And as people, as we're often inclined to do, with even good things that God give us, we twist them around. We misunderstand them. We misuse those things. And God gave very specific system of, of sacrifices under the old covenant that they would offer. And these sacrifices were a continual proclamation to them of the grace of God. Here's how. 
because God was reminding them again and again that God is a God who forgives sin. God is a God who provides atonement for sin. God is a God who provides a sacrifice to be offered in our place to cover our guilt for our sin. So sacrifice was a testimony of mercy. But as people are often inclined to do, they became so uh, particular about the particulars of their traditions and their laws that they lost sight of the spirit of the law which God gave, which was to be merciful people, to show the kind of mercy and kindness that God had showed to them to others. Jesus also gives another um, parable or a story in which he exemplifies what mercy is, what it means to show mercy. And it comes in uh, the form of of a question that was asked to Jesus one time. Because Jesus, um, one of the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus quoted the most, and in fact the most quoted in the New Testament, one of the most, is Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And and it says in one place that the whole law is encompassed in this. You know, if you fulfill that one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill all of the commandments that God gave. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and all of the other commandments. If you consider, if you are living perfectly in love toward others, you won't break any of those other commandments. So the whole law is fulfilled in that. And so somebody, Jesus, of course, was always quoting this, and somebody came to him. This is just such human nature here. Uh, You and I wouldn't necessarily be above asking this kind of question. They come to him, and they said, well, who is my neighbor? You know, they want to know what, what is the... What are the limits that I can draw around what God has commanded me to do? And I would encourage you, when you see the commandments of God, when you see the instructions of God, to not try to think about, well, what are the limits that I can put on that? How can I draw a line around God's commandments so that I know I can go this far and no further? That's not the nature of God's commandments. God's commandments are to be pursued with your heart's desire. But he wanted to draw, who is my neighbor? You know, I want to love some people, but I don't want that to go too far. I want to know what the limits are. Well, Jesus tells a story that he turns it around. A man gets beaten by thieves, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road, and then three people pass by. Two of them pass by and just, they cross on the other side of the street and they leave the man unhelped. And one, who's actually a Samaritan, and there's a whole uh, message in that because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. Jesus chooses a Samaritan to be the one passing by who stopped, helped the man, bound up his wounds, checked him into the inn, paid for his expenses, did everything necessary to help him. He showed kindness to someone 
who uh, you would not have thought would be someone who would be his neighbor. And then Jesus turns the question around and he said, who was a neighbor to that man? And they say, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. So let's consider the mercy of, of God today. But you know, I've been using the word, you've been hearing the word, but what does it mean? I like to sometimes go to the dictionary. And so I've, I've uh, pulled up my Webster's 1828 dictionary online and gotten some definitions. And I think these are very profitable to consider. So what, what does it mean to be merciful? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. It would do well for us to understand what that means, to be merciful. Well, it's an adjective from mercy, having or exercising mercy, compassionate, tender, disposed to pity offenders and to forgive their offenses, unwilling to punish for injuries, applied appropriately to the supreme being. So even the author of the dictionary, Noah Webster, he's recognizing that God is the exemplification of the definition of this word merciful. So he's saying, if you want to understand what it means to be merciful, you look at God. And he quotes Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. You might remember, that's from Exodus, when God passes by Moses and proclaims his name to Moses. Because Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, I can't show you my glory. It will destroy you. So he, 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 he clouds it some, and he passes by, and he reveals just a glimpse of the glory of God to Moses. And in doing so, he proclaims who God is. And when God describes his very nature and his character, he uses the word merciful. And then uh, the definition goes on. Compassionate, tender, unwilling to give pain, not cruel. A merciful man will be merciful to his beast. That's uh, merciful. But merciful is, of course, defined by mercy. So let's go to another definition. Um, and when he defines mercy, he gives, oh, uh, nine, nine definitions here. But this won't take us long. And, and in every, every one of these, or almost every one of these, in um, defining the word mercy, there's a quote in the dictionary from the scriptures. That benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. Hold on to that. To overlook injuries. To treat an offender better than he deserves. Well, that's not our natural inclination to show such to others. But have, have we received mercy in that way? The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment 
or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only toward offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. So, God is the, again, the embodiment of that mercy. Two, an act or exercise of mercy or favor. It is a mercy that they escaped. Uh, three, pity, compassion manifested towards a person in distress. Think about that man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. Someone in need. Part of, part of being merciful is extending kindness and pity to one who needs it. And that's at the essence of what Jesus' response was. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, Jesus says, here's a man who was in need. He needed a neighbor. He was desperate and he needed compassion. Uh, clemency and bounty. That quotes Proverbs 28, 13. Mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upheld by mercy. Five, charity or the duties of charity and benevolence. Six, grace, favor. Seven, eternal life, the fruit of mercy. Eight, pardon. Nine, the act of sparing or the forbearance of a violent act expected. The prisoner cried for mercy. So, again, there's, there's a lot there, but... My intention is not just to use uh, the Webster's 1828 as a nice sermon outline, even though you could almost do that, uh, but to give you a sense in your mind of what is encompassed in this word, because it's rich, multifaceted, and it describes for us the character of God and how he has related to us, shown us mercy. So let's consider God's mercy in a few different ways. First, we see God's mercy in the making and the keeping of his promises. God, by his nature, God created all things and he is the ruler of his creation. And in that sense, we are obligated to him and not he to us. Uh, he created us. He, we belong to him. We are part of his creation. And yet God binds himself in relationship and covenant with his creation and then is faithful to keep that which he has promised to do. And so we see his mercy in that. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations is what it says. And when you see that, that idea, a thousand in the Bible, like God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills, it's talking about the vastness, the endlessness. And not as if the mercy of God will somehow stop after the thousandth generation, but just saying as long as it continues, God's mercy is endless. It is eternal. 
His faithfulness will not end. We also see God's mercy in delivering His people. Like, for example, when God delivered the nation of Israel from their slavery in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage. They were suffering. They were oppressed by Pharaoh. And they cried out to God. And God heard their cries. And he showed mercy. And it describes in Exodus 15 a song that Moses sung for the people of Israel. Proclaiming and praising God for delivering them. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will proclaim him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then down in verse 13, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in, the, in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. So in the mercy of God, he delivers his people. Uh, we also see God's mercy towards the weak. Consider for a moment the descriptions that are given in, in Matthew 5 as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. And he, and he blesses the people. And the, the people he describes, the character, are not the strong and the mighty and the, and the wealthy and the, and the uh, people of reputation and nobility. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. And... Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who have need, people who are humble, people who are poor in spirit, and, and, or just poor in material possessions. In another place, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Uh, Paul would write in another place, he said, you know, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the weak things of the world. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. People that in the eyes of the world are looked down upon, are downtrodden, are destitute. These are the types of people that God chooses and has mercy upon. Jesus said, you know, they that are well don't need a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I've come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. There's a pattern that we see. God is mercy, merciful upon the weak. Psalm 6 begins this way. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. Do you feel weak? Do you feel weak today? Spiritually weak? Maybe physically weak? Mentally weak? Run down? Without strength? Vexed in your bones like, like David here in this psalm? 
You are just in the kind of place, you are the kind of person that God shows mercy to. The one who needs it. The one who stands most in need of the mercy is exactly the kind of person that God shows mercy to. Uh, God's mercy is seen in him treating us uh, not like we deserve, or not treating us like we deserve. You know, really, uh, it's like in that, in that I read before in that definition of mercy. How did it say it? Uh, treat an offender better than he deserves. That's what God does. But God never treats anybody worse than they deserve. A God is a perfectly just God, but God often treats people better than we deserve. Better than we deserve. He does not deal with us in proportion to how sinful and guilty we are. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 10 and 11. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. He has not dealt with us after our sins. In fact, that's, that's the, uh, the essence of the blessedness of the grace of God. And what's called imputed righteousness or justification. It says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one to whom God will not count their sin against them. That is a blessed state to be in. To be in a place where God looks at you, and this is true of every believer in Jesus Christ, God looks at you, and He doesn't, and and all of your sin, past, present, future, all of your sin, God doesn't count it against you. And if that doesn't seem fair, then we need to look to the cross and look to what Jesus Christ suffered because that's not fair either. The one who, who was guilty of nothing, the spotless Lamb of God, innocent in every way, no offense against God, no offense against man, he was tempted in every way like you and I were, yet without sin. And yet he suffered the wrath of man and the justice of God on the cross to bear the iniquities of his people so that God can justly treat you and I far better than we deserve. Far better than our sins would earn, because nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. Well, what is reward here? What is this talking about? Well, it's like it's like if you you know if you have a job and you go into your job and you work all week, and then your your uh, boss at the end of the week or at the end of two weeks or whatever, they give you a paycheck. They pay you for your work. Those are your wages. 
It's what you've earned. You've exchanged your labor for a just reward of your pay. Well, what is the just reward of sin? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's mercy. What we justly have earned by our rebellion and sin against God is, is death. All humanity. But God doesn't give us what we deserve, but better than we deserve. That's, that's the mercy of God, and we've already um, begun to see God's mercy in forgiving sin. This was one of the promises of the new covenant. God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. In one place it describes that our sins will be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Or what we read just a minute ago. For as far as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is God's mercy toward them that fear him. God, God's mercy. And then, uh, in, uh, then we also see God's mercy in showing kindness to the needy. In Matthew chapter 20, read to you an account of some people that came to Jesus in their need. God is, God is so good. God is so kind. Um, he doesn't show kindness to us because we deserve it. Look at this, look at this example. This in Matthew chapter 20. See, I'll start in verse 27. Jesus is, is instructing his disciples. He says, Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. This is the, the, the kind of thing Jesus was always teaching to his disciples. My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. You know, they're arguing with each other, Who, which one of us is going to be the greatest? You know, Peter, James, John, Philip. You know, which of us is going to be Jesus's, you know, right-hand man? Who's, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, this is not how it works in my kingdom. And it's not today. It's not in the church how it works. We're not vying or wrestling. Who, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to have the most uh, eminence? Who's going to have the greatest reputation or esteem? No, that's not how it works, Jesus says. He says, the one that's going to be uh, greatest among you is going to be the one who serves, who is a servant, the one who humbles himself, lowers himself. And, and if you need an example, look to Jesus himself. He says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. You know, he didn't come down to earth, sit in a palace on a throne and have people attend unto his every whim and every desire. He came, he humbled himself, he suffered, he served, and he even gave his life a ransom for men. 
And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Here's Jesus. He's coming through. He's got a great crowd following him. Jesus is, is uh, you know, about at the peak of his reputation while he was on earth. He has, he has crowds that flock to him. They want to hear his word, or uh, maybe they just want to see another miracle, or maybe they want to be fed because they've heard he can uh, take seven loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people. And this is great. It was great to be around Jesus. He was an important person. He was an esteemed rabbi. He was a worker of miracles. And the crowds are flocking around him. And as he's going, there's two blind men, and they are crying out. They're making a scene. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And what the multitude do is they try to quiet them down, to shut them, shut them up. Jesus is too important for your little needs. You're nobody. You're just two blind guys on the side of the road. Jesus is too important. He doesn't have time for you. That's how people think. That's how we might think sometimes. We think it's about who's important or about uh, who, who has the most esteem, but God God sees the heart. And what delights the heart of God, it ought to delight us too, but it's not often how we think. It says that, that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And Jesus tells a, a story about someone who had a hundred sheep and lost one and went out to find, left the 99 sheep to go and find the one that was lost. We'd probably give up the one for lost. And we got 99. God is merciful. So far beyond what, what you or I would do most of the time. Um, so they're, they're telling these people to, be, to hold their peace, but they cried out the more. Why? Because they had a need. How do you know to cry out to God? How do you know to seek God for mercy? When you know that you need it and you have nowhere else to turn. There's no other source Jesus said, you know, he said to his disciples, he said, you know the way. And they said, we don't know, what is the way? We don't know the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When, there's, when you know there's no other way, there's no other hope, that's when you go to Jesus for mercy because you need it. And you need it. And they come to him. And Jesus stood still and he called them. I love this. I love this. He's, he said, what will ye that I should do unto you? What do you need? What, what, what would you want me to do? This is the kind of mercy that Jesus sh shows. And, and they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. And then, um, 
the last uh, of the different qualities I want to see of God's mercy today is God's mercy in receiving us when we come to him. You know, I, I'm encouraging you to come to God for mercy, to come to Jesus for mercy. And we might feel all kinds of things, unworthy. We might feel like, well, we've had to come to God for mercy again and again. He's going to, his patience is worn thin, or we're not deserving of what he would give, but God is merciful in that he receives all that come to him. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, it speaks about how Jesus is our great high priest. The high priest was the one who represented the people before God, who went in to offer the sacrifice, entered into the presence of God in the holiest of holies in the temple. That was the high priest. And the high priest also represented God to the people. And when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he wore an ephod with 12 stones on it, precious stones, and those stones represented the 12 tribes of the people. There was a completeness to it. The priest was representing, wearing on his heart, the people, representing those people before God in the presence of God. And in the holiest of holies, there were the furnishings of the inner sanctuary of the temple. There was the Ark of the Covenant, and inside on tables of stone was the law written, and several other things in there. And then on the sides of the Ark, there were cherubims carved. The cherubims were the throne guardians of God's throne. And there, this was representative of the throne in the presence of God in a symbol on the earth, in the inner sanctuary of the temple. And on top of the ark was something that was called the mercy seat. And there was nothing on it because they certainly were not ever going to make a carving or any kind of graven image to represent the transcendent, holy, living God. You can't do that. There's no way to represent it. So there was... It was the mercy seat and the presence of God would come down and dwell in their midst. And Jesus Christ is called our great high priest and he is able to be a perfectly compassionate high priest. He knows what you are going through. That was one of the qualities of the priest. The priest was a person like you and me. A human being in this flesh, experiencing the struggles, temptations, trials, weaknesses that you and I experience. And it says that of Jesus. It says, essentially, we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you feel. Because he has experienced it himself. It says he was tempted in all points, like as we are. So he experienced temptation, trials, in all the ways that we do, yet was without sin. 
And if you think, if you think that means Jesus doesn't know how strong and powerful temptation is because he never gave in, I will tell you that it is exactly the opposite of that. Who understands best the strength of temptation? The one who gives in right away or the one who endures and presses on through the temptation and overcomes it? Who understands the strength of that temptation most? And so Jesus perfectly understands the magnitude of your suffering, the depth of your infirmity and weakness, and your temptations. And he fully overcame and endured and is perfect and without sin. And so we have a priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so it says, Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let's come boldly. You know, we, we feel unworthy, but we're still called to come boldly on account of what Jesus has done for us. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so, let me just close with two final things. One, what Jesus says, he says, he says, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. If you have experienced the mercy of God, then be merciful unto others. And then, lastly, I'd like to read, in closing, Psalm 103. Quoted a few verses from this before, but... I want to read this whole thing to you. Psalm 103, a psalm of David, where David here, he pours out blessings to the Lord, who is worthy of all that praise, the praise of our very souls. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, 
He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.